Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Risk and Regulation Rundown, the monthly podcast where we discuss the latest risk and regulatory developments affecting our industry, some insights from our work with clients and our perspective on industry talking points. I'm Sarah Eisted, your regular host, and this month we're bringing you something a little bit different, a bonus episode from PwC's COVID-19 Business in Focus podcast series, featuring Katie Fisher, Director of Strategy at the Financial Conduct Authority. Katie joins my colleagues Rowena Morris and Andrew Kale to talk about the FCA's priorities as set out in its recent business plan, how these are being impacted by COVID-19, and what firms need to focus on in the current situation and beyond. I hope you enjoy this special episode. Welcome to our virtual studio, Andrew and Katie. Hi, Rowena. Hi, hi, Rowena. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us both. So to kick off, um, financial services firms have done a huge amount of work in response to COVID-19 with an initial focus on maintaining critical operations and protecting customers as the priority. So, Andrew, now that we're a few months on from that initial response, can you tell us a little bit about what firms are focused on now? Sure. I think we're at a really interesting point in this particular crisis. I think, you know, we were talking when this all started about really three phases, and that was the mobilise, stabilise and then strategize. And actually, I think where we are now, we're clearly right in that stabilised moment. I think the uh, and companies are sort of dealing with the here and now, but also looking forward. Um, so what are they what are they doing right now? Well, I think first and foremost, they're trying to stabilize their business around business flow. And that's focusing on customers. It's focused on generating revenues and getting back to some form of normality. Um, they're clearly focused on their operations. I know we'll talk about that in more detail on, on this call. But there's a, there's a whole focus on stabilizing the business around making sure that technology and the like is operating um, as, as it should. And they're really focusing on their supply chain and their network. These are large, complex organizations that are uh, working in a, in, a, in a vast ecosystem, which means it's not just about their operations, it's around about the operations of a, a wider group of companies. Um, they're clearly focused on risk and regulation right now. They had to risk accept a number of procedures to mobilize in the, in the sort of heat of the crisis and therefore stabilizing that now around the risks of the organization, but ensuring they're complying with all sort of relevant regulations is, is clearly a huge focus. Um, the next area that very focused on is around capital and cash flow, uh, making sure, again, not just from a regulatory perspective, but an economic perspective that the organization is, is, is robust. And of course, they're focusing on their people uh, and making sure that, um, that the health and safety and, and the well-being of people is, is top of mind. So that's all very much on the stabilized agenda. But then they're now very much starting to look forward on the strategy side thinking about business planning, um, the transformation of the business in what will be the new world post-COVID, and really starting to take account of that in an environment where they need to think through both macroeconomic and political considerations, of course, considering as well what their competitors are doing. So actually a, a huge amount going on in, in firms right now, right across the industry as they, as they look to both stabilise, but then think forward in terms of strategy. And the FCA, Katie, of course, has a wide ranging agenda beyond the immediate response to COVID-19, which it sets out in its business plan in April. Um, and obviously, the business plan was a bit different this year and took a longer term view. So can you tell us why the FCA took a slightly different approach and how COVID-19 influenced the priority set out in that plan? 
Yeah, very happy to talk about that. And it was, you know, strange timing, as you say, we were about to publish our business plan and, you know, planning for April and, then, you know, everything got really sort of significantly changed in, in March. So obviously one of, you know, one of the first things we, we obviously articulated in that plan is, a, is our our um, sort of immediate response to COVID and, and obviously, you know, tried to set out there the fact that, that, that because the scale of that um, impact would be significant, you know, um, some some of our plans would necessarily be a little bit more tentative, and that um, you know we would need to make sure we stay um, engaged with stakeholders, keep them up to date as as things uh, may change as a result of of, of dealing with with COVID and and the kind of um, medium term consequences of that. But as you said, um, we had already decided that really what as an organisation we wanted to try and do with our plan um, this year, and and as we as, as we prepared our planning process, you know, during the course of um, the you know over the months leading up to the publication, was really trying to articulate um, more clearly for for everyone to understand the outcomes that we were seeking to achieve, and as you say, um, trying to articulate that over a kind of longer term time horizon, rather than articulating, say, all the different pieces of activity that we might be undertaking, trying to make sure everybody understands, well, this is what we're aiming for, this is what we seek to achieve in the interest of our, our objectives um, over the coming period, and, and, and we thought that having a sort of shorter sharper document that articulated that was, was the right way to go and, and that's that's what we've sought to do um and you know we've just really tried to to keep the the, the key um you know themes running through that around um you know reducing and preventing harm to consumers and more so um those those priorities that we we are really want to expend um, um you know and put our focus on are around ensuring that um consumer um, investment decisions are made effectively um you know, because of that, you know, we see some significant risk of harm in that. Um, those markets, um, partly driven by um, the additional responsibilities that consumers have for making complex um, investment decisions with um, initiatives such as the shift from um, defined um, contribution pensions um, and, and some of the government's pension freedoms. And we, we really want to make sure that that whole value chain and, and everything works there well there for, for consumers. We really want to ensure that consumer credit markets work well and again i think you know the 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 objectives around that are, are only really heightened by some of the challenges that people are experiencing as a result of um covid-19 um because although we know that credit markets work well for a, a lot of borrowers there's a sizable group that you know it doesn't work well for and who have problem um debt um, and, and 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 really struggle and we need to see, make sure that that kind of works more effectively the whole payments market and ensuring that payments are safe and accessible is another area where we're putting um, c considerable uh, focus to, to make sure that consumers can rely on payment services effectively um, and that, that, that they are properly safeguarded um, as they undertake that. Um, and then the final area um, we identified is um, around uh, delivering fair value um, in a digital age, which is about ensuring that, you know, um, you know, as as the use of consumer data and behaviour through digital channels increases, you know that that, that we're managing the 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 risks um, around that as, as well as obviously the benefits um, and that they're you know that consumers are treated fairly in in pricing and and the other terms that they're offered. As I mentioned, we also have a fifth um, priority that um, we articulated in that plan, which is about um, 
you know, focusing on ourselves and transforming our operations to, to make sure that we you know, we really look at how we operate as, as an organisation, um, thinking about the data we collect and how we use it how we use that, how we share intelligence um, and, and, and how we, how we you know, focus our, our energies. And, you know, we're, we're looking to make sure we learn lessons as, as an, as an organisation of what we've done well in the past and not so well. And again, like most organisations at the moment, we're also seeking to really make sure we learn the lessons of, you know, this um, really extraordinary period and think about how, how we learn the lessons about, you know, making decisions quickly and effectively in these kind of periods and, and what you can learn about different ways of working as, as an organisation. That's a really helpful summary of those five areas. And I think something that comes through really strongly is that point around the fair treatment of vulnerable customers really stands out as a key theme. So I'm thinking in particular about the FCA's priority areas of consumer credit and the need for firms to deliver fair value in a digital age. Katie, can you tell us the key things the regulator wants to see from firms in these areas and how that might be impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, so, you know, you know, ingrained in our, our principles are, is the requirement to, to treat customers fairly and, and you know, um, we really expect firms to be, um, think about thinking about this and taking particular care where, where consumers have um, characteristics of vulnerability, whether that's about health, financial resilience, capability, or, or you know, whether there's life events that affect um, their, their financial well-being. Um, and that's really because, you know, it's important to recognise the different needs that vulnerable consumers have and, and how that may affect their ability to engage with financial services and, and make the decisions that, you know, um, really affect their own interests. So, so, so we really want um, firms to to be thinking about um, and understand what the drivers of vulnerability are, and and that they are and what are likely to be present in their kind of target market or consumer base. So, where where firms are say selling high cost credit, you know, um, it, it is it is likely that there's a you know a lack of um, financial resilience that is, is quite often a feature of of some of the customer base, and so. You know, we, we want to make sure firms are thinking about that. And, you know, we, um, you know, we've been doing quite a lot of um, exploration and research in this area, you know, and we, you know, there are, there are a lot of people out there who do, um, you know, display um, some one or more characteristics of vulnerability. Um, and, and of course, um, you know, as you kind of alluded to at the start, that, that this is, this is something that's changing and increasing, um, you know, at, at this at this time as in a period of significant economic and financial uncertainty. So, so we really want to make sure firms are, are, are you know, are putting additional effort into thinking about vulnerable consumers. And you know, we're we're doing work ourselves to really explore what the additional financial effects of of, of COVID nineteen are on on consumers. Um, and, and think about the additional analysis we need to, to understand about what, what more needs to be done. Um, many um, many listeners may be aware that we um, um, in 2019 we, we issued some draft guidance on the treatment of vulnerable con uh, consumers um, where we set out our expectations about understanding the needs of vulnerable consumers, ensuring that staff have the right skills and capabilities to deal with those consumers and um, done this practical action um, around product design and customer service that we expected firms to be thinking about. So we haven't finalised that guidance, um, but we do think that that is a, a useful um, guide for, for, for firms to be thinking about in, in the current time. And we know that a lot of firms do already use that um, to, 
you know, as, as they think about their businesses and 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 the, as a guiding light in terms of how their you know culture is is is, de- is developing, we we again as as we move through the phases of the of the crisis, we're now thinking about taking the next stage forward in 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 that in that piece of work, um, and then as you as you rightly um, also highlight, um, you know, questions around fair value for con- for consumers are. are are also issues which um, have been important to us for for a long time, um, but you know maybe be heightened uh, during the current situation. But you know we really think that fair value is extremely important and key for a sort of healthy competition. And you know that that's that's you know the kind of thing that really will underpin consumer trust in financial services. And we do think that there's you know some markets such as general insurance and and, and mortgages um, and, and cash savings where um, you know the, the the value is not being de- delivered to all consumers. So we're, you know, we, we want to explore what we can do there. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, just taking account of the the the, the impact of that uh, greater digitisation um, across markets, so that um, really uh, consumers can can benefit from innovation and competition, um, whilst managing the risks that, that again may have on on vulnerable um, um, people. And sounds like there's lots of tools available on on your website, as you say, for firms to be going and, and looking at that that draft guidance and um, help that's available. So, Andrew, for some of the challenges that we've touched on, can you just talk us through a little bit more some of the challenges for firms in meeting those FCA expectations in these areas? Sure. I mean, I first thing to say on business plan, I, I think it's um, it's it's really helpful, clear, and sensible that the um, the, the approach that Katie and her colleagues are taking, uh, I thought it was a sort of a, a really sort of well-framed analysis. I, I would say I thought the plan would have been well-framed well framed even outside of COVID-19, uh, but the additional COVID-19 overlay uh, is, is clearly relevant at the current time. Um, but but that, that I start there because I think there would have been challenges in the industry delivering on that plan, even if we'd not had to deal with COVID. And so COVID uh, provides additional challenge uh, I, I think in a number of areas and, and, and maybe just to pick on pr- probably three areas that I think will challenge firms even more as, as a result of COVID. Uh, I, I think the first one is around the economic environment and we are sort of almost certainly and, and probably certainly going into a, an economic recession. Uh, and of course, the, the consequence of going into an economic recession is the population of vulnerable or potential vulnerable customers just increases very significantly, higher levels of, of consumer debt, um, a sort of unemployment, stress and, and sort of mental health issues all proliferate in a time of recession and so do issues of, of fraud. Um, and, and therefore, the environment in which the financial firms are operating and therefore the need for them to be even more focused uh, on, on issues that we've been talking about today are, are, are sort of are sort of catalyzed uh, in that regard. So I think just firms really operating in, the, in that recessionary environment and all that means for them and their customers is key. The, the, the second area um, is really around the digitization agenda and its impact on customers. The, uh, we've seen in the last few months how you know, financial services has moved even more digitally into serving customers because they've not had the face-to-face uh, opportunity to, to spend time with, with, with customers. Um, that is only going to accelerate. Um, we, we, I'm sure we'll see that with the way that call centres operate, um, contact centres operate, bank branches operate, um, investment sales uh, individuals operate. So I think 
the 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 consumers are going to be um, faced with a greater level of digitization in the way that they um, purchase uh, and, and use financial services, and, and that creates issues um, potentially uh, for usage. I think the, the the entire population of the country, in fact, the world's probably had a a lesson in upskilling and digitization in in recent months, but we shouldn't take for granted for some individuals operating in a more digital environment is still is still challenging financial products by their nature are complex um, that they're hard to understand and the levels of financial education across broader society um, is not as high as it needs to be and therefore operating in a digital world and remote world brings issues of knowledge of content of familiarity uh, around purchasing uh, those, those products and then the third area that I think will be challenging for firms uh, in, in working with the FCA's business plan is firms are looking to very significantly change their operating models as a result of, of COVID-19. I, I would make the case that they were going to do that anyway. They needed to. Their cost uh, base is too high. Uh, they, they're already being transforming themselves uh, in, in a way that's uh, you know, been going on for a number of years. The, 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 the need to operate commercially and successfully in a post-COVID world which has a recession, which has lower revenues as a consequence of a recession, uh, and which needs this uh, greater push on digitization, means that the way companies are facing off to their customers is going to change. Uh, potentially their products change, potentially their distribution model changes, uh, and potentially um, the way that they uh, deal with their, their customers across um, the range of products will change. And therefore, I think everything that the FCA is talking about here will need to iterate itself as regards what does that mean for companies operating models you know going forward particularly in the way that they um they, they deal with customers so i think those will be sort of the three categories of challenge that i would see and that sets the scene i think and pulls out what i'd like to really focus on a little bit next which is around the operational resilience side and i know that's a topic that's been a long-standing priority for the fca and is obviously central to the covid19 response in many ways, the pandemic has provided a live scenario test, I think, for firms' operational resilience plans. So, Katie, what can we learn from the current situation and how might it inform the regulator's approach to operational resilience going forward? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, um, we as a regulator and firms um, themselves have, have had to adapt, um, you know, quickly to the, the many challenges that, that, that coming with um, that come with dealing with the, the COVID-19 um, and um, the altered kind of threat landscape that, that, that financial services firms are facing with, um, you know, increasing numbers of employees uh, working from home, um, you know, the, the, the importance of stable um, and, um, online systems is, is extremely critical and, you know, um, firms that need to be mindful of, you know, cyber criminals um, exploiting the situation. Um, and, you know, um, whilst there um, the alternative ways of working that might be needed to enable business continuity, we, we, we do really expect firms to be prioritising information security and, and ensuring they've got adequate uh, controls in place to, to manage those kind of cyber threats um, and respond to major in, in incidents. Um, and, you know, we're expecting firms to implement, you know, in, in enhanced monitoring um, to protect endpoints and information and, and firm critical processes, um, including network connections and, and, and video conferencing uh, software. We've, we've 
We've said that, you know, um, there's a, a few areas of increased risk that we're asking firms to be particularly vigilant around, which is around, you know, um, the potential um, um, increase in security breaches or cyber attacks that may, may occur. Um, we need to make sure that, you know, governance and oversight arrangements are, 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 are up to scratch. Um, we need to make sure that um, firms are, are, are reviewing, you know, regularly the impact of, 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 of coronavirus on their information and security systems um, and fences and, and taking action where they need to. Um, and, and also um, ensuring that, um, you know, general notification requirements are, are followed um, and significant um, incidents reported. I mean, overall, I think we've... Um, so far, what we've seen is that firms have, you know, managed the operational in impact effectively and have been able to ensure, you know, um, continuity of service for consumers during this period of, of, of significant stress. Uh, you know, as you'd expect, there are, there are some pinch points um, for firms, including, you know, and managing the, the, the high volume of calls to call centres and with you know increased staff absence rates, um, you know for, firms are, are as you get and expect responding to this in different ways. Um, you know, and, and again, we just want to make sure firms are are tracking tracking their operational performance and, and service quality and, and addressing any issues that that come up quickly. You know, we, we continue to engage with firms on a regular basis to make sure we understand um, what what's going on. Um, and and you know and are able to respond. Um, you know we've been we've been speaking regularly with with industry throughout this time. Um, you know alongside government and, and trade associations and other other regulators to make sure we really understand this. Um, and you know I think we'll be kind of collectively looking to to learn the lessons from this um, and just making sure that um, we 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 respond and engage on on issues on, on an ongoing basis while whilst looking to you know what we can learn for the future. And so moving to you, Andrew, what can firms take from the current situation? How should they be preparing the regulators changing approach to operational resilience, which the regulators consulted on back in December? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this has been a, a key topic on firms' minds for, for, for some time. And of course, they were working through the uh, the regulatory upcoming regulatory requirements before before COVID came along um and so it's it's definitely uh, something that's had a lot of focus i think we then had covid and uh you know kate has already covered this i think firms generally are feeling they've done well probably remarkably well in the way that they have managed to go to remote working really right across the industry right across all of the functions in in a in a, in a relatively short space of time and yes with some risk accepting of various procedures and and not without some uh, challenge, and we we you know Katie mentioned the uh, you know the call center volumes as an example, so so, so not not uh, not without challenge, but actually I would say that that the, the resilience of the the operational resilience of the sectors held up very well, um, uh, you know in 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 the crisis. Um, but, but I think turning to sort of what needs to change now is I think we are as I as I mentioned, you know a few minutes ago. We, we are we're not going to go back to the same operating model that needs to be resilient that we were working on before um, and, and that's that's for a number of reasons that's because of all organizations have learned a lot about themselves through through this crisis which means that their their, their employment footprint their operational footprint their technology footprint their real estate footprint you know needn't stay the same again and organizations are stealing themselves not to drift back to business as usual but but learn from the crisis in a way that will 
benefit them, benefit their customers, but actually change the operating model. So the model they were working on being resilient before is is going to evolve into a different model that will be more digital, that will have more remote working um, and, and actually will have a, a potentially sort of different way of, of interacting with, with customers, particularly digitally. So I think that for me is the is the nub of the challenge. How do they take the their aspirations to run their own business uh, in, in a resilient way, respond in full to the requirements that are coming uh, forth from the regulators, but then translate that into an operating environment that needs to be commercially robust because the organizations need to generate the appropriate returns on, on capital to be sustainable, is dealing with all of their customers across the, the, their products set and the, and the types of customers they work with but has, the, has the, the nimbleness and the agility to work in what is going to be a different operating model whereby you know, we're hearing firms won't be bringing back potentially large percentages of their workforce, certainly for a, a good 12 months and potentially quite a lot longer after that. Uh, and already hearing firms talk about you know, how they would look to use real estate differently going forward. And then one other point that I think is really important when we talk about operational resilience is the, the relationship with third parties. You know, no financial services firm uh, is, is really an island. They're all working with a variety of, of counterparties and suppliers, uh, particularly in key areas like technology. And therefore, that, that it's not just that the individual firm's business model that's going to change. It's the business models of those third parties that also in totality need to be, need to be resilient too. So that you know, the, 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 the chief operating officers, the chief information security officers um, and, and the, the chief executives I'm talking to now are all thinking hard about how do they move their organizations into a new operating model that is, is, is safe, it's appropriate, but is also commercially robust. And, and I think bringing all of that together will be sort of, you know, the, the challenge that you know, the firms are facing to make sure that resilience stays absolutely top of the agenda. Uh, because we've all seen that trust is at the heart of a successful financial services business and where trust can be eroded very quickly is where one organization suffers a operational incident that doesn't just impact them but actually impacts the entire sector so I think this is a critical uh, you know part of the agenda for the sector going forward. So that sets us up nicely I think for sort of the third real big bucket that I wanted to speak about which is more looking ahead and areas to focus on so with COVID-19 having clearly shaken up the regulatory agenda, and we know that the FS regulators have postponed a number of pieces of work to allow them and firms to focus on responding to the pandemic. Despite that, what are some of the areas where you think it's really important that firms keep up the momentum? And Andrew, if I come to you first, if I may. Sure. I mean, the, the first area is actually is, is, is a, a little bit of a panacea of business as usual. I mean, the that the, the world was a complicated place before the pandemic and all of the firms were working on a, a whole variety of initiatives, be those regulatory or commercial um, uh, uh, anyway. So, so the agenda of the firms is full and, and they need to continue doing many of the things they were, they were doing before by, by way of making sure that the, the business remains resilient, sustainable, profitable uh, and, and, and complying uh, with, with the needs of its customers and the regulations around those customers. So that, that's, that's really important that the, the BAU agenda is maintained. But of course, we're now operating in, in a different environment. And I, and I think there are a few things for me that, that are increasingly important that, that firms will, will, will need to deal with. 
Um, the the the, fir the first one um, is is really around um, where we take some of the uh, sort of the, the the impact of the economic um, uh, impacts and making sure that sustainability of the business. So you know we're all familiar, of course, with ESG, and that's very much been um, a focus on the environmental impact coming into into COVID. I, I do think that the social impacts of that now, as a result of the pandemic will be even more pronounced. So I think organizations, both for serving their customers, but also increasingly dealing with the expectations of society, the expectations of regulators, the expectations of government, and we're going to see big government, even bigger government coming through after the crisis. ESG is going to be critical to, to how an organization runs itself and presents itself to, uh, to its stakeholders. So I think that's key. I think then probably a couple of other more tactical pieces, although they're very significant. The, fir the first one I'd, I'd, I'd highlight firms to is, you know, Brexit is, is now an issue that is going to be front of mind as we come up to the end of what was a transitional period. Uh, and, and, is still to, and, and clearly we are still in negotiations now that the firms have done in, in previous months and years a lot of planning around Brexit. But of course, we're, we're heading to a situation where that planning may need to be executed on in a, an even sort of uh, in an even harder fashion. So I think that's a second area. And then the third third area I, I would focus firms to is is the response to LIBOR uh, and, and how that um, sort of regulatory deadline hasn't changed. That will drive significant impacts and is uh, you know being planned for across the sector. But but is a is a, is a really important uh, change for firms that they will need to respond to. Uh, in, in good time. So those would be my, my highlights, if you like, Rowena. Brilliant. And Katie, how about you? What would be your highlights of what firms need to keep front of mind? Um, really, yes. I mean, I, as I say, I would entirely in, in, endorse what Andrew said. I, it may feel a little bit <laughs> groundhog day, but, you know, uh, uh, we um, and, and firms do, do need to be thinking about preparing for, for the end of the transition period um as 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 we as we've left the EU but that you know the transition period will, will bring with it um further change and you know we continue to work closely with um, the bank and, and treasury to, to to plan um for for what will you know happen at, at that point. Um you know there's obviously a, a lot still happening um around uh, discussions around equivalent and, and, and other things but we really just want you know firms to be um you know keeping in, uh, preparing for 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 the end of that period and the different scenarios that we could find ourselves in, you know, we you know continue to to do what we can to make sure that the the, the end of that transition is as smooth as possible. And you know, we we will still have um you know uh, recourse to the tools that that, that we um had, had had developed in in, in preparation for for previous points such as the temporary permissions regimes um and the, the the temporary transitional power that we have which will you know uh, mean that some of the um you know requirements of or that, that would come into force at the end of the transition period would are able to be um d delayed um but you know we 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 cannot control everything and you know the business that uk firms can do in, in, in the EA is, is, is a matter of local law and regulation um, and, and firms need to be thinking um, about what, you know, what will be happening elsewhere. And, you know, as, um, again, firms will, will no doubt be aware, but there isn't a, a pan-European equivalent to our um, temporary permission regime. So it's really important that firms are, you know, are, are understanding what um, business can continue um, 
in, in different jurisdictions. I mean, I, again, as I said, I, I really, um, I would reiterate that we, you know, we remain very committed to 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 the ESG and, and climate agenda. Um, you know, as Andrew said, um, you know, go- government is, is 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 active here, and although the um, COP26 uh, UN climate summit that was due to happen this year has been postponed, you know, I think I think that will only you know, result in, in, in you know, in increased focus on, on making sure that, that there's an ambitious agenda in, in, in the run up to that and that, um, you know, collectively, you know, um, everybody is, is, is playing their part in, in, in supporting um, supporting that agenda. Um, you know, we, we are working very closely um, with, with government and other regulators and we're also, um, you know, we're also being active um, internationally um, you know, and um, there's a, a, a new IOSP task force on this, which we're 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 involved in, and, and I think you know we really um you know want to work with the the industry, um, you know, to to make sure that we can collectively face um the, the challenges associated with that, and um yeah, I would I would just um finally um, endorse Andrew's uh, plug for um LIBOR um transition and and ensuring that um firms are 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 preparing for that and you know we stand ready to um to help firms um with with that process and we would encourage them to to speak to us um where where they have issues that are of concern really helpful summary thanks very much both for sharing those insights I hope you found that episode helpful. I personally found it really interesting to hear about how COVID-19 is influencing both firms and the regulators' approaches to operational resilience. We'll be back with another Risk and Regulation Rundown episode next month, but you'll be hearing a different voice asking the questions as I'm handing over hosting the podcast to my colleague, Andrew Strange, a director in PwC's Financial Services Regulatory Insights team, who I know will do a great job. Thank you very much for listening and take care and stay safe, everyone.